0: Uh, Revelation, uh, next chapter or next part of the chapter, um, on a theme of seven letters to seven churches. I am um, just want to say, Adrian, I I saw, I went along to Adrian's um, group that they uh, have at Norburn once a month. I don't know if it's Adrian's group, but uh, the group that goes to to Norburn every month been doing it for years and just just witnessed how adrian handles people and how he is is courageous how he is not afraid to speak about oh, jesus god. and uh, i think when I, when I saw that i could see something in adrian which was all about being a messenger and that's uh, so why i want to pray this morning that god would use you adrian as the, yeah, his messenger god. to speak mm. the truth in love uh, to us, that you would be somebody who challenges us, who encourages us, and, uh, and causes us to go out and be courageous like you. Amen.
1: Thank you. I, I got really organised for this. I found out that there's not a clock that I can see. Yeah, but... So I decided I'd set the alarm on my phone. For 5 to 12, I thought, yeah, that'll work all right. But I hadn't thought that then, obviously, you put your phone on silent, don't you? So the alarm's not going to work, is it? Fair enough. But Jeff had said he was going to shout at me or something just before 12 o'clock. So I said, that's if you've not gone to sleep or something <laughs> like that. One of, the, one of the things that i found looking at this little passage is how much... It points at me and convicts me and challenges me. And I know people speaking say that we have to, you know, it it preaches at me first. But some of the stuff in this passage, it really is convicting. It really is much easier if someone else speaks about it. it would also be better if someone was here who had been persecuted, who could really share what it's like to live that way because that would be more meaningful and it would give it some authenticity, wouldn't it? Which I can't bring to it. So I'm sorry about that. But, and also, most of what I bring is what other people have found. There's hardly any original thoughts in this. It's just what I've found from different places. So get that out of the way. Revelation chapter 2 and verse whatever it is, 8. I'm struggling with my eyesight. I'm getting cataracts. So vision's a bit blurred. So I'm hoping the light is good enough. John says to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander or the blasphemy of those who say that they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you'll have tribulation." Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Just a few bits that I found out about Smyrna it's Izmir nowadays it's it's there it's called Izmir hundreds of years ago Smyrna was uh, it was a city it got absolutely decimated someone came along in a war smashed the whole thing down it was a ruin and it was like that for yonks this might all be a load of rubbish I read it on the internet I haven't checked it out anywhere else right but then this clever guy decided he was going to rebuild it So, he he moved across slightly and built this new Smyrna. 400 years, it was a ruin, and he built this new city. But it was really something else. Great, big, wide streets, paved streets. This is over 2,000 years ago. And temples, and it was really one of the places that people wanted to go to. It had got this great, big reputation. It was somewhere else. So, if you lived in Smyrna, a bit like living in... no. If you lived in Smyrna, you were really proud of this place. They think that it might, the name might have come from Myrrh, but they don't really know. But anyway, people used to go there just to visit the city. Paved streets, everywhere else it would be cobbles or dirt, I suppose, but this was somewhere else, and temples wonderful temples and there was a hill behind the city with loads of different temples on it and apparently that hill was called the crown of life but it was so famous because of all the temples in Rome in those days in the Roman Empire you would apparently you'd be expected to have your god so if you were an electrician There weren't a lot of electricians around in those days. But if you're an electrician, there was an electrician's god. There would be a market trader's god. But then if you went to the market, there'd be another god for all the market traders. And then a god for the cobblers. And all this sort of stuff was going on. And then the ultimate god was the emperor himself. So if everyone got together in the city, they might worship the god of Smyrna, but then nationally, they worship the emperor. Privately, they might, this was all going on. So there's all these temples that are on this hill around the, the back of Smyrna. And it's strange that some of the connections that Jesus uses in this letter, that connect with geographical facts about Smyrna. But let's let's come to what he actually says. And uh, you could read this letter and have a totally negative response, I think. You could read it and think, it's a bit like getting a letter from your boss. And he says, I'm the boss. I started this company. It's the best company. I know you don't get a lot of pay, but you get more than some people. Don't worry, your working conditions are going to get worse, but if you stick with me, when you're finished, you get a watch. And you'd sort of finish the letter and say, well, I don't know. Thanks. Thanks. You could read this bit of the letter and sort of think that. But actually, there's loads in it, I think, if we want to take our time and just read it. He says, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I think it's so easy to just read those words and sort of think, that's an interesting title, isn't it? They're nice words. That's a theological statement, isn't it? But I don't think that's what it's there for. When when Paul writes his letters, in those days it seems that at the start of the letter, you said who it was from, didn't you? You didn't have to look at the end of the letter to find out who had written it. He said it at the end. And this is what he's saying. This is who I am. And I think this is the biggest chunk of this letter. If we miss this, we're not really going to appreciate the rest of it. Jesus is saying who he is. And this is something that I haven't haven't got this. I really haven't got this. Jesus has. He knows how important he is, doesn't he? I am the first and the last. And he says that not just because actually he's learned that's what he is, but that's the truth. That's who I, there's, no, there's no one else. There is no one else. It's not the emperor. It's, it's, there's no one else. I was dead and I'm alive again. Whatever happens in the future, remember this bit. And, and I think that we just, well, I just don't, appreciate the significance of what Jesus is saying. We read in the previous chapter, when John turns round to see the voice, no one tells him what to do. But he falls at his feet as dead. Not because he was told to. Not because there's some writing over his head that says, when you see me fall, he just falls down. When Isaiah sees a vision of the Lord, and it's Isaiah, he's not some nobody, he's one of God's prophets living in God's country. But when he sees the Lord, he thinks he's finished. He says, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. When Job has all these troubles, doesn't he? He loses just about everything apart from his wife, and his faith, and he questions God and questions God. But when God questions him and challenges him and wants him to ask some questions, answer some questions, Job basically says, uh, I, I heard of you. I heard of you, but now I've seen you. And I repent in dust and ashes. It doesn't say in the account that he saw the Lord, but just God questioning him, just God challenging him, just God saying, where were you when? Where does this come from? How does this work? And Job hasn't got the answers to his questions, it seems to me. But it seems that the questions don't matter anymore because He's seen the Lord and nothing else matters. And I think there's a bit of that in the way Jesus addresses the people in Smyrna. If you get this, nothing else will really matter. Other things happen. Of course they happen. Things happen all the time. And they're important and we're responsible for all sorts of things. But perhaps if I appreciated what this actually means. I am the first and the last. I was dead. I am alive again. That's not just some irrelevant religious statement for people who want to study theology. This is... Some people talk, apparently, about gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon a little child. But the glorified Jesus, every knee will bow. Not because we decide to, not because there isn't any alternative. No one says, no comment. Everyone bows down because this is who he is today. This is who he is. They were still going to have issues and problems and trouble and stuff to deal with, but this is who he is. This is who he is. I, I came across this silly little thing. Well, it's not a silly little thing. Apparently, the sun's 93 million miles away, right? Well, if you say that a sheet of paper... The thickness of the sheet of paper is that distance, right? Strange idea, right? But just as a as a measurement. So that's the distance between here and the sun is the thickness of a piece of paper. If you say that, right, then the distance from here to the nearest star beyond the sun would require a stack of papers 70 feet high, right? That's that's the distance, right? Now, we live in the Milky Way, don't we? That's why everyone, so many people, like chocolate, isn't it? We, we live in the, the Milky Way galaxy. The diameter of the Milky Way galaxy would require a stack of these papers, each of which is 93 million miles thick. It would require a stack of papers 300 miles high. That's not 300 miles, that's 300 miles of pieces of paper, each of which is 93 million miles thick. And that's one galaxy, and they don't know how many galaxies there are. They don't know. Not because they got to 187, but there's more, they reckon, than bits of dust. They just don't know. One galaxy is that big. It says in Hebrews, just a few insignificant little words in chapter 1, verse 3, he holds the universe together by the word of his power. What's that, eight words? You can really read the Bible really quickly, can't you? You can read the Bible really quickly and miss so much. When the angel spoke to Mary we know that story don't we and, and two, two things that it says in that, it says of Mary that she pondered these things that the angel said to her and she treasured them in her heart. Perhaps if I ponder the truth of Hebrews 1 verse 3 and I ponder the truth that He is the first and the last. And I chew it over and I think about it and I ask questions and maybe I start to really value it and I treasure it. Then maybe I'll be building into my life the truth of it and it won't just be these bits of Bible that I can recite but I might be living in the light of the truth that there's a God of order over all things, who has said, I am with you, always. But that's something I've got to do. How different would it be? How different would my life be if I took in the truth that I read in the scriptures? Someone once said, some of us spend too much time listening to ourselves you ever do that? Something happens and you churn it over in your mind and you, it becomes bigger and bigger usually a negative thing but we need to spend more time talking to ourselves like the psalmist did. Why are you downcast my soul? Hoping God maybe we can pick verses and challenge ourselves and speak to ourselves and talk to ourselves I don't know if you do that out loud when other people are around but you get the idea the next next thing I want to look at Jesus says I know and he says that to every in every letter to every church I know he says I know your tribulation and your poverty and the slander what a great thing that he knows. He knows. He doesn't just know when your washing machine is gonna pack up. He doesn't just know that those road works are still happening at the junction between the A47 and the A15. How long is that gonna take? He doesn't just know those sort of things. This is written to the church. He knows what the church are up against. He knows what's going on out there. I know your tribulation, I know that. It's not gonna go away. Doesn't say it's gonna go. But he knows about it. He knows what the UK is like in 2020. He knows what the Bible says, obviously. He knows what other people say. He knows what we're told we've got to believe now. He knows what is true and right and good. And he knows what people are saying. You have to believe is true, even if it isn't. He knows that. He knows all that, doesn't he? And he's just saying, I know that. And we're, we're sort of saying, well, can you deal with it then and get rid of it? He didn't say he'll do that. You know, you know of John Bunyan who wrote *Pilgrim's Progress*. In those days, apparently, if <whistles> that's that's my um, alarm. It did work. Appar- apparently, in those days, if you did, just deal with this. If you preached, you have got to preach in the established church. John Bunyan wasn't going to just preach in the established church, so they put him in prison for three years. So after three years, they said, right, now don't go and preach anymore, will you? And he said, well, if you let me out today, I'll be preaching tomorrow. So they locked him up for another eight years. He's got kids. No benefits. He's got a little blind daughter. He's in prison by choice. He said yes to preaching a no to the society. There was a bloke who I read about, he was probably around the same sort of time, 1600s, and the Bishop of Ely was after him, probably because he wanted to preach to people outside of the church. So he used to get away from the people who were after him because he had this long pole and it was before the fens were drained. So he could run along, I'm not going to demonstrate it, because I haven't got the pole, he could run along and stick the end of the pole into the ditch, and shh, pole vault to get away from them. Brilliant. Apparently that's how pole vaulting started. <laughs> it, was, it was to clear a distance, originally, rather than a height. But this chap called Haller the Fen, they used to call him Fly the Dyke, because he, <laughs> he he was... Yeah. He, so he was round sort of Ely, Willingham, and that area. and And... It's happened in this country. People have been persecuted in this country, haven't they? Good old Hall of the Fen. And, and then the next bit, he says, do not fear. Well, that's easy to say, isn't it? But, but I want to connect it to another little bit. It says, do not fear. And in my version, it says, behold. Well, it doesn't say that in up-to-date versions, but that old word behold, it didn't just mean see, it didn't just mean look, it's from an old English word that meant thoroughly get hold of something, thoroughly hold your gaze onto something. So if you just say see, it's not quite the same. It seems to me that it means, yeah, but get this, get this. So the writer says, do not fear, Behold, the devil's about to throw... So he's saying, but get this. Get this. He's saying, well, that's not very nice, is it? The devil's going to throw some of you into prison and test you. But I thought, this is a bit like the captain of the team telling the people in the team what the opposition are going to do. So he's, Jesus is telling these Christians what's going to happen to them. So when it happens, they know, yeah, we knew about this. This is this is the devil testing us. It's not because I screwed up. It's not because I haven't got enough faith. It's not because I skipped the prayer meeting. This is what we were told. We're being tested here. We're being tested. But we've been told in advance. It's the devil behind this. It's not just because I was working for the wrong people and they shopped me to someone else. This is... This was what was going to happen. So it's team talk about what the opposition are going to do so that you know before it happens. It doesn't go away, but it's much better if you know in advance, isn't it? Much better. There are people nowadays... There's, there's a woman in, young woman in Nigeria who was kidnapped a couple of years ago by Boko Haram wouldn't convert to Islam, she's still there. She's still there. They've said she's a slave for life now because you won't convert to Islam. Just the other week, some people stopped a bus in Kenya, went on the bus with their guns, found out who the Christians were, won't convert to Islam, dead. It still happens, doesn't it? This sort of thing is still happening. Apparently, there are eight Christians every day killed for their faith. And I want God to stop it. And I sort of don't understand why this happens. But is that the point? Do I need to understand? Or do I need to trust him and be ready myself In the the Maldives, if you live in the Maldives, you are a Muslim. Apparently, in the Maldives, it has been known that a husband and wife don't find out that their spouse was a Christian like they are for years. Because they have to keep it so secret. That's awful, isn't it? It's awful. In Brunei, it's not allowed to be a Christian. In the UAE, Dubai, even expats, no worship, no prayer, no witnessing, no conversion, nothing like that. Simon Gilbo, well, I'll just read this verse. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Simon Gilbo says, have we lowered the bar and diluted the gospel? I fear we're busy proving to the world that they can have all the benefits of the gospel without any convenience to their way of life. We can't afford to craft ourselves a more comfortable cross. <coughs> but God did not give us A spirit of fear, but of power and love and self control. I know, Jesus says, Do not fear, he says, Be faithful unto death. That's tough, isn't it? And I will give you the crown of life. That's a reward for those who've persevered under trial. It's not eternal life itself. It's a reward for those who've persevered. Mary was faithful. In Acts chapter 1, you know, there was a load of them meeting together, praying. Mary's there. Mary had basically had the attitude, it seems to me, of saying, well, I've got plans. I've got plans. I was going to get married. I've lived a decent life. If I say yes to this, my reputation's down the pan. It's trashed. My life, I was going to be a wife. People think well of me because I've done the right thing. Now they're gonna think I've been sleeping around. And what's gonna happen to my son? Is he gonna be a wonderful? No, he's gonna be illegitimate, isn't he? Everyone's gonna think he's illegitimate. And then that chap says, a sword's gonna pierce my soul. Don't want that. But she says yes. She says, yes. Be it to me according to your word. What matter to her? And she stuck with it and she was faithful. And she's there before Pentecost praying with the disciples. She's gone through the, the tribulation and the trouble or some of it. She's put up with all that. She's heard what the angel knows, and she knows very little. And yet, she also heard, you have been favoured by God. What? Yeah, you've been favoured by God. And that was what the whole thing was built on. But that's what the whole thing here was built on. These people at Smyrna, had come to know God. And they'd got it. And perhaps only Jesus knows how important it is for me to know him better. That's right back in Jeremiah. They will know him from the least to the greatest. And we still put other things more important than that. We need to know him But we can, because he's begun a work in us. That's his grace. Just like Mary had the favour of God, we have the grace of God. Not because we're good enough, of course it's not. So because he has promised to be with us, he who has all authority given to him in heaven and earth, he says go, we may have to prove one day what that means. But maybe if we do, in the proving of that, we will experience a much richer knowledge and appreciation of him and his love. Because it seems that the persecuted just know him. They just love him. And really, they must do to stick it, mustn't they? I really think they must do. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's about him, isn't it? It's about him. So much of my life, I think, is about me. But Jesus knows how much it's about him. In the end, we'll see it's all about him.
0: Thank you. Adrian, that was great.